0: We talked about Old Covenant versus New Covenant. The ministry of death versus the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of righteousness. And I'll be threading some of that throughout today as we look at how we take this further. For those of you who have ever had it in mind that there's a goal you want to reach in life. Let's take something educational, just because that's something that most people can connect to. You want a degree in some area of learning. You have to have a goal, you have to have a purpose, you have to have intent. It's not something that comes automatically, there has to be some tenacity in there, and you have to protect your investment. Not only have you invested dollars, but you're gonna invest time, blood, sweat, and tears into that degree before it's said and done, right? Just like in anything that happens in our lives that we want that really means something. And even for somebody who is given an honorary degree, you've seen that happen. Most of the time that's done because there is some area in their life in which they have had purpose, intent, and have put a ton of work into. That's usually what gets them visible in the eyes of a university or in the eyes of some leadership that says, you have done enough in your life and we want to honor you with a degree. So either way. And so here's the question I wanna put to you in continuing with love. Today we're gonna talk about doing it on purpose. It doesn't happen outside of any other, other intent. It doesn't happen just offhand. Some of us have love pouring out of us for people. Absolutely. But if we want it to actually have purpose and have intent and bring people into the kingdom, like Glenn was talking about earlier, then we have to have it purposefully. What if we truly want to exhibit the love that he showed us how to do? What needs to be our goal? Let's look specifically, just because it's easiest and something we can connect to, let's look at our close relationships. Let's look at spouses, your children, your friends, the people you meet that God wants you to mentor or work with, or the people you meet that God wants to use to mentor you. There's so many aspects to relationship out there. What is your goal or what should be your goal? And what are you doing to protect the investment into that goal? What is your investment into it? And what does your relationship environment look like? Now, I said that very purposefully because the hallmark of most good relationships is a safe place. Now, no. You know me better than to think I'm going to start into a bunch of psycho mumbo-jumbo here. I am a safe place, so you can talk to me. Yes, I want that to be true. But we're trying to be intentional about love, right? That's what we're looking at. Well, if we look at the Bible, what is the opposite of love? That would be my first response, too, until I look deeper into it. Did you know that biblically and scripturally, when you look it out, the opposite of love is actually fear? Look at first John 4:18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. So if I am looking to establish relationships that show the love of Jesus, and I introduce fear into that relationship, then I cause other people to feel powerless. And usually if somebody actually introduces fear, it's because they feel powerless and they feel like they've got to exert some kind of power in that relationship. A lot of people believe that if I get angry, if I get mad, if I raise my voice, I'm showing people I'm powerful. No, that's a lie. Let's just say it like it is, that is a lie. That is not the same as authority. I mean, wouldn't true power be demonstrated by being able to keep a rein on those kind of feelings when you look at it? So in that scope, what are some lies that our world at least leads us to believe about power? Anger equals power. Violence equals power. Other people control me, so that makes me powerless. Or I control other people, so that makes me powerful. Just think about it, on a really good day, a really, 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 really good day, (laughs) you are in control of you the entire day. When that person cuts you off in traffic, you are in control of you. When your kids show disrespect, you are in control of you. And when your job isn't turning out to be what you thought it was gonna be, you are in control of you. And that gives us an amazing opportunity. (laughs) You see, we've talked about this dream for the generation that we're raising right now, for the generation that's downstairs learning who they are in God right now, and the generation that sits among us. And we have, an entire generation, we have the opportunity to teach them just how powerful they truly are. Anna, just how powerful you are. Addison, how powerful you are, because they truly are in control of them. No matter how much I would like to, at times, take away a choice and try to control it for them, they are in control of them. But can you imagine, in this generation, that we're raising up if they were not wavered at all by peer excuse me, by peer pressure? Because they believe they're powerful and they are in control of them. What if the next generation fights for purity like we can't even imagine? Because they believe they're powerful and they are in control of them, no one else. Let's break the generational lies of power, folks. Let's break it. Let's be done with it. Let's break that idea that other people control me. That idea that I am a victim to my life. And that idea that fear and intimidation is what rules me. Stings just a little bit, doesn't it? Because it's so easy to look back and say, well, I'm this way because. Well, you don't understand what it was like when I was a child. I probably don't. But I do understand who you are in God. And I do understand who I am in God. And the truth of the matter is, if you know who you are, you have the power to be in control of you. So how can we do that? Step one, a heart-to-heart connection. When we're working with our children, when we're working with others in our life, whether it's spouses, whether it's people God's brought into our life, it doesn't matter what it is, heart-to-heart connection. Look at Psalms 32, eight. the Lord is saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now that can be looked at a couple of different ways when we look at how his eye is upon us. But what did we talk about the last time I was up here? We talked about the fact that he's not looking for you to fail. He's not keeping a checklist of the things that you've been doing wrong. So if that's so, what does it mean when he says, my eye is upon you? Because he's not looking to give you the evil eye. It's not the look. And you guys know what I'm talking about. When I was a kid and that guy gave me that look when I was misbehaving, I knew what that meant, and I knew that later, when we weren't in front of everybody, there was going to be a discussion, and it might even go further than that before it was all said and done. It all depended on my attitude, usually, and believe me, I can have one. (laughs) I knew what that look meant. I mean, when I was a kid, and even when I was a teenager, a few times I would be looking at my watch and telling the other kids, I gotta get home. I'm supposed to be home by this time of day. What are you, scared? Yes. Mm-hmm, I am, and I'm going home. You know, in Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, I think they were trying to make me as wise as possible. <laughs> Don't get it wrong. I was not an abused child by any means of the, of the word, but I had a healthy knowledge of what my boundaries were and of what the consequences and correction would be if I stepped outside those boundaries. I knew that. I was becoming wise. No, when he's saying his eye is on you, when he makes a mistake because of that relationship he has with us and we see his eyes, we're gonna to wanna to make a change and we're gonna to wanna to adjust because of the deep, profound love and acceptance we see if we'll actually look in his face. Think about Peter in the Bible. This, As I was going through some of this last night, I just couldn't get away from this. Peter, for those of you, let's catch up on the story just quickly when it was about time for Jesus to be crucified. And Peter was talking about how much he loved Jesus and what, what their relationship was like, and Jesus told him, Peter, I know that before this night's out, you're gonna deny me three times. Oh no, Master, I would never do that. He did. Before it was all said and done, as the night wore on and as things became scarier and scarier, and he saw what was happening to Jesus and people would would ask him or but aren't you one of Jesus don't you know him aren't you close to him no i don't know who he is he became fearful and in Luke 22:61 Jesus it says Jesus at that moment the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Now, do you think the Lord turned and glared at him? No, no. What made Peter weep was the deep love in his eyes when he turned and looked at him. Jesus had just, within hours of that, had just healed the ear of the high priest's slaves after his own disciples had thought they needed to protect him and cut his ear off. He said, no, 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 no. This is part of what's supposed to happen tonight. And he took that ear and he healed him and he put it right back on his head. If he could do that for somebody that he didn't know, that he hadn't walked with, that he didn't have the heart-to-heart connection with, Then what do you think was in his eyes when he turned and looked at Peter and what would cause him to weep bitterly at how he had treated the man he loved? So in Psalms, when it says that his eye is ever watchful and will counsel us as we walk together with him, isn't it more along the lines of He'll counsel us about those traps that are sitting in our path. He'll counsel us about maybe decisions we've made that he would have said, don't do that. But in our own willful way, we did anyway. Guess what? Acceptance and love. And he's counseling us along the path. But to get that connection, whether with him or with those around me, I have to put in an investment. We're talking practicalities today, guys. I have to put in the investment. In my relationships, if my investment is so little that our connection amounts to a pretty little piece of gift wrap paper, for instance, the tissue that we put in gift bags, it looks nice, but there's no substance to it. What happens if there's something that tests that connection? What happens if I need to talk to somebody about something God has brought up in their life and I know I'm supposed to have that conversation with them that's not easy and I tug on that paper? It's gonna tear and you can't put it back together without a lot of tape and it sure don't look like it started but what happens if my investment is deep and cared for and supple. What, ha- what happens if it's more like a, a leather strap that maybe I've put around my waist and they've put around theirs? And if something comes up where we either have an argument or we need to have a confrontation, what happens then? For one thing, we can't get away from each other without absolutely breaking or cutting through that strap. But we're gonna move together. Whatever we do, we're gonna move together. And hopefully I can pull that person along with me into deeper love and deeper relationship. When that person can look in your eyes and see love, acceptance, and a steadfast determination, that's what keeps that leather strap strong. That's what keeps that relationship, that heart-to-heart connection strong is when they know, yep, This is tough. I don't like having this conversation. But guess what? We're going to come out of this stronger than we were to start with. You see, God will bring people into your life that had no one else that ever, ever looked at them in the eye and said, I believe you're amazing, and I believe you're powerful. Never. It's heartbreaking (laughs) how little value we place on words in our society. And there's a significant amount of people in the world that actually they've grown up hearing only the negative. I hate you, you're stupid, I wish you were never born. You don't wanna do that, nobody's ever gonna be your friend. Someone like you that looks like you, are you kidding? That's all they've heard. And so what kind of contrast is it when they come up against us and we just simply love them? What kind of contrast is it when we actually can look them in the eye and say, I love you very much? Or our actions say, I love you very much. Let's make it a little bit harder. What about your family? Does your family feel that love from you? I hear so many people say, well, when I get home, I just need to be able to relax and be myself. I agree. I think you should, but is it really yourself to go home and be mean and hateful and growly and snap at the people that you love the most because you've given all of your good stuff all day long at work and to other people, and now you can come home and, Be yourself. What does that tell your family? It's not I love you very much. Because you know what? That's an investment too. But you're headed more towards the tissue paper than you are towards the leather. Because our words and our actions, whether or not they match up, they speak volumes. And most of the time, our actions will outweigh our words and our communication. I know at times that I've had a not so joyful reaction to some things that are written on T-shirts and are put on, it seems to me that it's our little girls and our teenagers more than anybody in our nation. I don't know, maybe I'm just not noticing the ones that, that the young guys are wearing, but you'll see T-shirts that'll say, diva in the making, little girl, big attitude, bossy is beautiful. And, you know, that list can go on, and the world says those statements are empowering, that we're empowering our little girls. But we need to be so aware of what we're speaking and labeling our children as what we're speaking and labeling each other as. Because that's not what the scriptures say. Let's look at Ephesians 4. It says, I urge you, Paul's writing this to the church at Ephesus, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, don't get caught up in that gentleness and humbleness thing and think, okay, if I do that, then I'm gonna be a doormat. No, that's not what it's saying. You see, I love what C.S. Lewis says about humility. He says, it's not about thinking less of yourself, but it is about thinking of yourself less. Because you see, I can purposefully put others above myself And in so doing, I bring that out into what reflects back to me. I know we have a world out there today that says, you know, well, I'm just putting goodness out in the world so that goodness will come back. And we wanna kinda go, ooh. You know, that's slightly twisted. But the scriptures tell us the same thing. That what we establish as who we are and how we reflect God into the world, then we get to receive some of that back. That's not necessarily the complete premise on why we do it, but that's how it works. That if I put others above me, guess what? They're gonna start thinking higher of me and putting me above them. And then it just becomes this chain reaction where, you know, it's not a lost cause to be able to be humble and be gentle to be able to look at somebody with deep love and appreciation and say right now I want to pop you in the face so bad but I'm not did you know you're the disciple who Jesus loved and in so doing and because that's who you are I love you very much remember that we don't do this in and of ourselves. Now, one of the, the, when they list the fruit of the Spirit, they say self-control. And that means we have to work on that ourselves, but we do it through the power of the Spirit. It is a fruit of our relationship with Him. Remember that our old man died with Jesus on the cross, was buried, was resurrected, and that person is no more. So I can't lean back and say, well, that's just the way my family's always been. No, because I was resurrected into a new family. Had this talk with somebody just this week. They were discussing the fact that they've made a lot of strides in this area, and they have, but they realize they look around and they see the generational reasons why it's something they struggle with. It's very real, but it's also very much a part of our old man. Because remember when we talked about the ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of righteousness that, well, let's, let's revisit even the scripture for just to Moses for just a moment. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain with the tablets, and he had seen God, and the glory was just shining on his face so much they couldn't even look at him? 2 Corinthians 3, but if the ministry of death, meaning that old covenant, in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. So if condemnation wants to always put labels on people, wants to put them in boxes, and let's revisit that for a minute. If a person is addicted to drugs, our world will often put a label on them. They'll call them a drug addict. If if that is what I'm taking to myself, if I take that name and I believe I am a drug addict, then by faith, I struggle with drugs the rest of my life. If I lie, that ministry of condemnation will want to call me a liar. And, you know, if I take that name and I believe that I'm a liar, then by faith, I struggle with lying the rest of my life. But today, let's flip that narrative. If someone in the ministry of righteousness calls me powerful and I believe that I am powerful, then by faith I will demonstrate true power for the rest of my life. If someone calls me loved and I believe that I am loved, then by faith I will demonstrate love for the rest of my life. Get the idea? Does anybody, has anybody ever watched that show, I don't think it's currently on anymore, but called Dog Whisperer with Cesar Milan. It, for those of you that haven't, it's a guy, they call him the Dog Whisperer because he's so good at figuring out how to help dogs with their behavior. A lot of times it's usually helping the humans more than the dogs, but it's nothing super spiritual or woo-woo that's going on here. He just understands how things work. One story that stands out to me when I think about how all of this works for us and how we reflect love onto other people or other things, there was a family that reached out to Caesar and said, we really need help. Our dog, we feel like he's a wonderful dog. When we have him in our home, it's no problem. But but lately it's becoming more and more of a problem every time we go out. He's attacking other dogs. He's attacking people now. And we don't want to just give up. We've had him for quite a while. We don't want to just give up and put him down. But we're at our wit's end. We don't know what to do anymore. And if we're not careful, you know, people are going to take legal action and make us do something about it. And so he goes and he looks at at everything and he asks stories and then he goes so what's this what's what's his name oh his name's Cujo you know that reaction you had right there for those of you that know that movie that dog feels that reaction because the second they introduce that dog to anybody and they say his name's Cujo there's a (gasps) feeling that gets put out there and that's what dogs react to. They know what you're feeling. They can't understand your English. We can train them with a few words here and there. We can train them with actions. We can train them with words. But as far as understanding everything that goes on around them, they understand feeling and they understand what's in the atmosphere. And that dog would then begin to react to that. That fear that's projected even that standoff hatred, and that dog would react to that. So you know what they did? They renamed the dog Joe. He never attacked anyone anymore. Now that seems oversimplified, but it's really not, because they, ha- they had labeled that dog after an extremely vicious other kind of dog that most people know about, at least I've never seen the movie, to be honest, but I know who Cujo is. So they started calling him Joe, and guess what? Joe got to be who he was. It's a similar story with, you know, the reputation that pit bulls have now. Early on, pit bulls were considered a very lovable, great family dog. Around somewhere in the 80s, there was a, an interaction that didn't go well. And from then on, it became a case of, if that's a pit bull, then (gasps) oh my goodness. And before long, they've become one of the dogs that most people are scared of or scared to have because they're afraid of what might happen. Hear me in this, connection occurs when there is a successful transfer of that I love you very much. Successful is a key word here. Because if your words and your actions don't line up, it's not successful. If you don't put in the work to know that other person well enough to know how they need to be loved, it's not successful. Your encounters, the things where you see each other face to face, when you text, when you're on the phone, Those are your I love you very much moments. Now, let me just say something here for a moment. It doesn't mean that you're always having to say I love you very much. There are going to be some situations where that's absolutely not appropriate. (laughs) I was raised by a man who he wasn't real wordy about whether or not he loved me. He did say I love you, but he wasn't just effusive and gushy about it, but I never had any question in my mind how much value I I had in this man's eyes, never. So his I love you very much came through action and through other forms. Doing something unexpected for somebody, that means really kind of nothing to you, but it means a lot to them. There's an I love you very much. Sometimes for some people, a simple hug and kiss can be that I love you very much. I said step one was the heart-to-heart connection. Step two, protect the connection like your life depends on it. Because it does. Whether or not you get to live that joyful, fulfilled life that God wants for us, it depends on how you take care of connection with people. Because that's how he set it up. Just think about it. If you're married and you're not protecting that connection with your spouse, what ends up happening? It's definitely not good things, is it? Pretty soon you begin to read something into every little action. Pretty soon you stop believing the best of that person because you haven't been spending time, you haven't continued with that heart to heart and understanding. If you want that fulfilled, happy, joyful life that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit, then connections are your priority. Those should be your goals. And if you're someone who struggles with wanting to make connection, talk to God about that. There is a different level of relationship you need to have with Him, and that you need to have with the Holy Spirit walking with you that will bring you to that place where you want those connections. What he said earlier, he said, I'm I'm interesting now, I actually care about people, I like people. You know, he, he means that. There was a time when other people just were like, eh, too much work. I'm gonna use an example here, and I forgot to say if it was okay with you, Christy, but I hope our connection is good enough that it is. Um, During the conference, for instance, Christy was very helpful to me. She was kind of a right-hand person where she was just available to go and do what needed to be done when we needed it. And at one point, I had a person who was getting ready to teach a class trying to tell me something from across the room and I stepped into that booth and she didn't realize what was happening and started to talk to me. And in that moment, I looked at her and I said, shh, and then continued listening. And within 30 seconds, I was like, oh, that was rude. Oh my gosh. And a little bit later I said, I'm sorry, I just said sh-. She goes, no, no, you're fine. I know you, you know me. I knew what was happening there. I didn't catch it, it's all good. Now, I don't believe that love means never having to say you're sorry. It's good to go back and check on those things and to feel checked in your spirit. But what she was saying is we have enough of a connection to know that you were going to come back to me and let me say what I needed to say here in a minute. But there was something going on I didn't catch, and I trust that. And thank you for that, Christy. I appreciate you believing the best. In my intention that day. And I try to do that with others too and I know I fail sometimes. But believe the best. Believe the best intentions. And a lot of people have been exposed to the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. It's, it, it's very interesting if you've never looked at it, but they talk about how different people receive love differently, what it says to them. And those five things are touch, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, or gifts. The things that speak to them the most, that kind of gives them that little, hey, they care about me enough to have done that, or to have said that. And if we're not careful, we begin to believe that whatever speaks to me is what speaks to everybody else. And if we don't understand the differences, we don't have that successful transfer of I love you very much. I was, I was uh, amused as we were standing here in this room during the conference because one of the gentlemen that was teaching, he was teaching on basically communication. I can't remember the title of his, of his uh, talk, but one of the things he said is kinda, it takes a moment to get a read on other people, but he had a couple of graphs and things that you could use. And he says, once I figured out how to read what people were giving back to me, I realized what I needed to give back to them. And he talked about the differences between him and his wife. You know, one needs to talk more, one wants to get right to the point. Well, the one that wants to get right to the point doesn't usually wanna hear it all. So guess what? Your I love you very much is to hear it. Not just sit and listen and yawn and play on your phone, but to hear it. Doesn't mean you're a prisoner of it all the time, 24-7, but that there are times that you need to hear it. And that's all it takes. And I know I have a difficulty with that. I'll be working with people and it's like my, my mind is processing already. It's going, okay, my answer to that would be this and would be this and would be this. And later I need to do this and I need to do that. And I realize I've tuned out for two or three minutes. And truly this person who's talking to me is someone I care about. They're a friend in my life. So get it back together, tune in. The last time we talked about this, we talked about getting our wow back. And as I was talking to God about how to pull, tie this up at the end and what kind of exchange did he want to have with us today? I felt like he was saying, okay, you want to get your wow back and you've been working on that with me. Now I want to use you to give the wow back to other people or to even introduce them to what that means at all for those who have never had that. And so for just a couple of minutes here, if everybody would indulge me, the only reason I'm asking for closed eyes is so that distractions don't, don't get in our peripheral here. Just ask God a couple of questions. Everybody close your eyes for just a moment. Say, God, what lies have I believed about whether I am powerful or not? just ask him that and listen for just a moment that first thing that comes to your mind that's probably the one don't overwork it it's not hard and now that you have that just say Lord I'm sorry for the role that I played in allowing this to become a part of my life and I give it to you. Now ask him, what truth about me do you want to replace that with? What do you say about me? Sometimes it's a picture. Sometimes it's a word. Some people might get a whole paragraph. And once you have that, just kind of look up at me for a moment. Once you hear God saying what he wants to fill that back up with. Because here's the thing. We all have a unique presence about us when we spend time with God that he wants us to release into this earth. And I heard a beautiful thing recently that I might end up doing with our kids before it's all said and done. But a group that's really looking very closely at how to train kids to understand who they are. And they asked God, they said, ask God what it is about you that when you pray for people or when you touch people that you're supposed to release into this earth. And then they had Two or three different, because, you know, they're kind of expensive, but they had two or three different essential oils there, and they all had a meaning, particular sense. And they explained to the kids what their meanings were. And then they gave them what they call a carrier oil, like something that they would put those essential oils in that it could become a part of. And they said, okay, take these essential oils, and you make the fragrance that you're supposed to, re- to release into this world. And all oh, the kids got into that, and they were putting a lot of, I, I got to see a video of part of it, they really put work into it. I know that God has said that I'm supposed to you know, release love into this world, and this one and this one together make this, and I mean, they were thinking it through. And then they, be- they, they said, now this, this is your anointing oil. This is the oil that if you wanna pray for somebody and you wanna see, see them get healed or you wanna see a change in their life, you use this oil. And he, <laughs> the leader got a call from a parent saying, wow, my child has never prayed for me in their life. And I walked into my kitchen one day and I said, okay guys, you're gonna to have to figure lunch out for yourself, I have a migraine, I'm gonna to have to go to bed. And that child stepped up and said, nope, I don't think you're going to have to. Grabbed his anointing oil and prayed for her, and that migraine went away. Amen. What is our fragrance? What is it that God's dropped into you that said, this is who you are, and this is what I want you to release into this world? I know in a way that's a heavy way to leave here today. Unless you have something you want to follow that up with. But be cognizant as you meet people. Be intentional. And then in those interactions that you have day to day, that becomes second nature. The spouse that you see all the time, the child that you see all the time, the friend that you always get together with. Keep that little connection between you and God on, what am I supposed to be releasing into that person today? And every time you say something to that person, What am I labeling them with? What am I teaching them? Everything we do teaches people what they can expect from us. Everything we say teaches people what they can expect from us. So, what am I teaching that person to expect from me and from the world around them? Am I showing them that they're powerful or am I trying to take away their power? Father, as we go about our week, I pray that this will be an ever living, breathing thing in how we interact with those around us. And as you bring new people into our lives, Lord, help us that when they look into our face and they look into our eyes, they see your love shining through. We love because you showed us such a wonderful example, Jesus. we love because you first loved us. Lord, let us take this challenge to heart and put it to work so that as we see that prophecy fulfilled, that word that was said over us earlier today, that it will be easy to bring people into the kingdom. That doesn't mean just coming in, it's sitting in these chairs, Father. It means bringing them into the life that you have around us into your light, your life, your truth, and your love as we walk around in Jesus' name. Thank you for coming, everybody. Have a great week.